there's things that AI is going to exceed at, you know, and I think that there's things that human beings are always going to exceed at. And we as human beings, we're incredibly complex and emotional oftentimes and kind of um, not always very predictable. And I think that this kind of makes the kind of problems that we have to solve as designers, it, it, it's very kind of lends itself to being having a human touch or having context and being able to problem frame um, in a way that really only human beings are uniquely kind of equipped to do so. Hey, this is Kirill Nagornik, and you're listening to the UX Objective Podcast, the show for SaaS founders, designers, and product people. Today, our guest is uh, John Yablonski, and currently John serves as a senior product designer at Mixpanel. Previously, he worked on the next generation of in-vehicle digital experiences at General Motors, and John has also authored lots of UX books, and today's topic is Artificial Intelligence in design. Hey, John, I'm very happy to have you on the UX Objective podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Before we jump to the main topic, uh, which I mentioned, um, can you please tell us a little bit about the book, which has made a relatively big splash in the design community? Yeah, absolutely. So the book is really kind of focused on, um, you know, the intersection of, of, of psychology and, and user experience design and really looks at um, a lot of the kind of concepts and principles from psychology that are really valuable for uh, user experience designers. So um, it's really just kind of um, a, a, an introduction into that and, and really looking at a little deeper into the to the history behind a lot of these kind of principles and concepts that the, the psychologists or the research that that kind of you know laid the foundation for that and why it's really relevant when it comes to the design. Uh, so yeah, that's that's really uh, what the book focuses on. It also touches on, you know, a little bit of the like the the practical application uh, in in how you operationalize psychology in your design work, and uh, also kind of the ethical implications of and things that um, you know, looking really closely at how technology can actually shape behavior, which I think is also an important thing to consider when. When you are, you know, looking closely at using psychology within your design. Coming back to our main topic, the artificial intelligence term was coined in 1956, I believe, and lots of time went since then. And there were winters in the how people would treat artificial intelligence, and it's not that people talk about artificial intelligence like, okay, this is like a distant future and. But actually, the artificial intelligence tools are already here and we consciously or unconsciously already using them as a designers as well. So can you please give your understanding where we are with the artificial intelligence in design at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think that overall we're, we're very much in the early stages, right? So, I mean, yes, artificial intelligence as a, as a concept uh, has been around for quite a while now, but... I think um, we had to kind of undergo some revolutions prior to getting here, right? Like we, the the internet and information age needed to come about uh, first, and now we're in this kind of. Um, and, and by the way, with the internet and the the internet age coming, you know, in the in the late '80s, '90s, um, 
that brought with it a lot of capabilities of being able to train AI much more effectively than it would was able to be trained prior. So all of a sudden now AI becomes a much more um, uh, much more accurate, much more powerful. Uh, and then we also underwent, of course, the mobile uh, um, revolution where you know technology became more more and more powerful and smaller and computing in overall became more and more powerful. So this was also another really important kind of uh, step in the in in technology that needed to happen to really kind of make AI more powerful. Now, when it comes to um, applying this in design, I think we're in the very, very early stages of this, right? Um, yes, there's lots of tools that are already kind of implementing AI, but I think um, like all things, um, that are that, that have will have a massive impact on society on a on technology. Um, they're slow to kind of take root, and then they suddenly just kind of explode. and And I think we're on the precipice of that happening with AI. Can you give any examples of uh, tools that are currently using AI in the design sphere? Yeah, absolutely. I know, you know, there's quite a few um, interesting ones that I've seen from, you know, you got companies like Adobe that are using AI to do uh, things that their tools were doing already, but now they're doing it a little bit more effectively. So, for example, the ability to kind of, um, you know, add in information, image information, uh, or, or being able to remove things more effectively and, and in an automated way. I mean, I remember a time when using Photoshop, you had to do this very manually with the clone tool and it was a very yeah. meticulous process. And now fast forward to now where, um, you know, there's they're using AI within that tool to be able to just kind of do that automatically. Uh, and it's almost like magic, right? Um, that's, so that's another, that's a, that's a great example of that. Another one that is one of my personal favorites is, you know, being able to um, take, uh, whiteboard drawings and essentially turn that into high fidelity mockups. This was an example shown by uh, Airbnb. Uh, for example, you know, it was very much kind of like a, an, an experiment, but it was interesting to see how they were leveraging AI to kind of recognize these kind of um, whiteboard loose sketches and be able to kind of map that to UI components that they have available in their own um, design system, and then be able to mock up a page in high fidelity, um, you know, based on those whiteboard sketches. So, you know, I think those are two really, really great examples of of just some of the, um, you know, how AI is being used already. What do you think is the the bottom line that people trying to solve by introducing AI into design? Maybe there are a couple of them. You know, I think there is. Uh, yeah, one of the things that um, strikes me as kind of, uh, you know, kind of odd sometimes is that we still do a lot of very manual tasks. Like we still do things in a very kind of uh, analog way with our design tools, right? Like we're still doing a lot of the same things every single project that we have to work on. And yeah, we found ways to automate that. Maybe uh, there's processes in place or design systems in place that help speed things along or there, maybe there's a library that's available that you can reference, but um, there's just still a lot of work that we do over and over again for each and every project. And I think that's a prime example of like where AI can come in and really help augment the abilities of a designer, right? They can help kind of streamline that process and eliminate those kind of you know repetitive tasks 
so that we can focus on the the more important things, you know, focus on the on the task or the or the problems that really will end up providing more value to the end user. And I think that's really the overall kind of that's the bottom line is is really kind of free us up to focus our efforts on the things that actually matter um, versus these kind of more process oriented things or kind of, um, you know, uh, spinning up a new project and having to undergo lots of things that we have to, you know, we do each and every time. So um, that's that's one. And then I think the other one is um, really just kind of allowing for us in the same kind of vein uh, to document our work without us really having to kind of do that manually, right? So documentation, I think, is incredibly valuable for other people on your team, for developers, for anyone that needs to kind of look at the work. But this is still stuff that we have to do manually uh, each and every time. And, um, you know, leveraging a tool that's able to kind of, that's really good at looking at patterns and being able to document that or do repetitive tasks um, that's in, in a very predictive way. This is a kind of, these are the kind of places where I think AI could really excel at helping us uh, from a design perspective. You mentioned a couple of times uh, the menial tasks. Does it mean that AI is sort of doomed to eliminate menial tasks or it can be used for creative purposes as well? It, this is an interesting question to think about because I think that there's things that AI is going to exceed at. You know, and I think that there's things that human beings are always going to exceed at. And, um, you know, we as human beings, uh, we're, we're incredibly complex and emotional oftentimes and kind of um, not always very predictable. Um, and I think that this kind of makes uh, the kind of problems that we have to solve as designers, it, it, it's very kind of, um, you know, lends itself to being um, uh, having a human touch or in, in having context and being able to problem frame um, in a way that really only human beings are uniquely kind of um, equipped to do so. But on, on the other hand, a lot of the kind of things that uh, AI or computers in general are really good at are those repetitive things, those things that are kind of very pre prescriptive and and um, have a very kind of reliable in input and output. So I think that um, by nature, those might seem kind of menial, but you know, in the context of AI as a tool, if it can get those kind of tasks out of the way so that human beings can focus on the problem solving and do what we're better equipped to do, I think that's a really, that's a very um, you know, promising future in my, in my mind. Um, and that's not to say that AI couldn't kind of, you know, evolve to the point where it is kind of doing more creative problem solving as well. I think that's a possibility. Um, but, you know, it begs the question, is there, is, there, is there times when you really don't want AI solving problems, right? Um, that are, and, and what kind of problems do you not want AI to be solving? And that's the kind of questions that, I, you know, I think that that kind of surfaces. Can you give examples of these problems that we don't want AI to be solving? Yeah, I mean, I, so absolutely. I, I mentioned that, um, you know, like human beings were very complex and um, we, you know, when it comes to designing things or our, you know, fellow human beings, it's, there's a lot of context that's important, right? We need to understand context. We need to understand, um, you know, the kind of problem space. And these are the kind of things that AI just quite frankly can't understand, you know, um, there, and it's, it doesn't really exceed that. 
So I think that the kind of things that we want to avoid using AI to kind of, you know, um, to solve are going to be the things that where complexity is very important, where context is very important, and really kind of understanding like, you know, it, what the kind of consequences could be of doing it wrong, right? So as human beings, we already kind of like have, um, you know, it, it's challenging to not insert our own bias in our work, um, in, in our design work. And I think that, you know, when it comes to AI, if we're just kind of like pointing something at, at a problem and letting it go, those biases are gonna inherently work their way into the solution. And, and that's exactly what we're wanting to avoid. So when the stakes are high, when the, when the possibility of bias or, 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 or um, you know, kind of like uh, non-inclusive um, work can cause real harm. I think that's the kind of things that we want to avoid using AI for. Uh, and really just kind of focus on, like, as human beings on, on, the, on what we excel at, at, really, and that's kind of understanding context and creative problem solving. While you were speaking about the bias, the one example came to my mind. There was one lady who posted on LinkedIn and she was like sort of complaining how Google Translate is working. And she was translating from Persian to English. And she said, Persian is a gender neutral language. And the way the Google Translate uh, did the work was very awkward. And he, she thought like, it's a bag or something like that. And um, she was explaining uh, like writing a couple of short sentences. And depending on the context, the Google Translate would change she or he. So the sentence goes like this. She's very beautiful. He's the CEO of a company. He's capable. She loves shopping. He works hard. She loves children. He loves sports. <laughs> and she thought, it's a very bad job that Google Translate did for her translating this sentence. And the guy, his name is Chris Luengo. He said that this is one of the big frontiers in the AI because like, how do we deal with the bias? And this is a problem with this statistical uh, model models that when people speak about CEOs, mostly they mention men's. When people speak about somebody's being beautiful, mostly they mention uh, female. So that's how we can get like a, a awkward results if we just drop AI onto the problem and the result can be very uh, awkward as well or unpredictable. And I like one of his lines where he says, uh, remember that artificial intelligence is not a, an intelligence at all. It has no concept of what it is doing. <laughs> and I thought that could be a really good disclaimer for all the AI projects out there. So you have to be cautious, you know? <laughs> It's not intelligence at all. Yeah, that's the fundamental distinction is like, you know, being unconscious of what it's doing and what the end results could be and what kind of impact it might have. These are all the things that don't really kind of, um, they're not computed in, in, by the AI, um, by an AI. But human beings, on the other hand, yes, we struggle with, um, um, you know, not inserting our own bias in our in our work and our thinking in our kind of reasoning but um we uh when when you kind of are able to identify bias you're much more likely to see that and and consider that harmful and be able to kind of understand the the impacts of it like you were describing so um 
I think that that's just like a good example of, uh, you know, it, it, it's all about garbage in, garbage out, right? So if AI and how it's trained, is, it's inherently going to kind of bring in the bias that we as human beings have already. Um, and, it, and, and so it really kind of begs the question, well, how do you, how do you train AI to avoid those mistakes? Because I think number one, it, on the surface, it might make sense to eliminate human humans from the equation. Like we can train AI <laughs> to, to, uh, identify bias and, and whatever. But I think the problem is, is that the underlying operating system, like the, the way it's constructed is inherently going to have bias because it was created by human beings. Um, and, you know, I think that AI typically has a, it optimizes for the normal, right? It's, it, it optimizes for the happy path. And as designers, we know the kind of downsides to optimizing for the happy path only, right? Um, and treating outliers as aberrations. I think that, um, you know, just like how we kind of treat our own design work, how we train AI should be very similar to that. So we need to center around the kind of edge cases. We need to center around those aberrations. And in the process of doing that, I think we're, dis we're building AI that serves everyone uh, much more inclusively and, and has more likelihood of avoiding bias altogether. But, um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's never this kind of like, point a AI at a problem and walk away. I think it's always going to be this very kind of um, interesting kind of marriage or duo of human being and AI to solve problems. And right now we're seeing it just kind of in the tools that we're using. But I think in the future, we'll, we'll see, you know, human beings actively kind of engaging with AI in a, in a much more kind of like natural way not only just in our tools, but maybe uh, beyond that uh, to solve problems. Uh, and you know, I think that um, to get there, we really have to kind of consider how this, how AI gets trained, whether it's, you know, using more diverse data sets, um, you know, that consider things uh, closer like race, ethnicity, gender, nationality, income, sexual orientation, physical abilities, religious, political beliefs. These are all the things that as human beings, uh, we are better at kind of considering, uh, even though we have our own challenges at times. Um, you know, I think that this is what AI would have to get much, much better at to be kind of like, um, you know, used in these kind of contexts and not introduced bias. And also this, what is normal is constantly changing, right? Humans only can understand like, okay, this is normal now. And what was before it, it's not normal and AI probably won't make it. It just treats it as an equal data. So, and it will make it like an average uh, judgment of what is normal in terms of ethnicity, in terms of uh, like sexual and orientation probably and things like that. I was reading one of the articles of how Grammarly is uh, training its AI. And they gave very nice analogy that uh, kids are learning how to behave by watching the people around them and by positive and or negative reinforcement. So, and basically what they do, they take a big corpuses of texts. And if they want, for example, to uh, train AI how to use a comma properly, they have to give lots of positive examples and lots of negative examples so that AI can know the difference. When we come to the 
design uh, sphere. Can we tell that when we train AI, the positive examples would be like the best practices, best design practices, and the bad example will be like the dark pattern patterns and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. So, I mean, with if you're, for example, the the example you're using Grammarly, I it, I find kind of intriguing because I I'm a active Grammarly user and um, I could really see that like for them, it, it's a much more kind of two dimensional problem to solve, right? It's where to place a comma in a sentence. So it's like very established grammatical rules and you're kind of, you're, you're giving it data based on either right or wrong. I think when it comes to human beings and kind of like, um, you know, solving problems for human beings, it gets way more, way more complex. And that's kind of like the, that's what's so tricky about this that, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I would be hesitant to even consider like use, leaning entirely on an AI to solve problems in that realm. Because like you said, context is always changing. Uh, you know, these kind of societal um, norms are always shifting. And, um, and, and then there's things like, you know, um, uh, inherent racism or eth ethnic kind of um, uh, complexities or nationality complexities or, or identities, uh, identity kind of like questions that all um, are really, really nuanced sometimes. And, uh, and I think that those are all the kind of things that make training AI in that regard very, very difficult. And so, like, I, I think that um, to train AI effectively, you kind of almost have to narrow the scope of the problem. Like, for example, like what uh, Grammarly is doing with the comma training, right? Um, and, and be able to kind of focus in on a very specific problem you're trying to solve with AI. And it's trained specifically to do that. Uh, and, and I think really when it comes to these kind of more complex human kind of issues, or being able to identify things more effectively. I think it really is starting from the edge cases and working your way out, you know? I think the classic example is like using AI to kind of recognize, um, you know, a hand uh, under a soap dispenser, right? Like, and there was the, there was the, the you know, the kind of well-known kind of um, documentation of, of people with darker colored skin and the soap dispenser not recognizing the pigment of their flesh, and so they never would get soap. But you know, <laughs> me as a Caucasian uh, person, I could go in, throw my hand under there, and, and get soap each and every time. So I think it's that kind of stuff that I think is um, would be avoidable if you know you really start with your your kind of you know the 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 you start with those edge cases. You start with the things that could go wrong and work your way out. Um, and, and then what's kind of um, amazing when you do that, regardless of whether or not you're talking about AI or just classic user experience design, starting from the edge cases and working your way out has a tendency to kind of create a better solution for everything, for everyone, right? It serves everyone much better. So I think that um, in the case of AI, we need to do the same thing. We kind of need to kind of focus on those uh, complexities and, and really kind of start with the things that could go wrong and work our way out to to the kind of more um, common um, uh, use cases. Looks like it's a very big job for the <laughs> UX designers and yeah. research 
to establish what are the, the standards and the best practices of UX. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because one thing is, uh, okay, the hamburger menu icon should be placed on the right-hand side. Okay, we can tell it, <laughs> you know. But other things, they get much more like contextual and like, what is the best practice? Well, it depends, you know, on the context. It depends on the situation. depends on your tar target audience or your designer for what is your kind of business, um, you know, like strategy and like marketing strategy. Like, so there's so many things to kind of incorporate into the design decisions. I think it's um, one of the applications that you mentioned in your article about AI in design, where I see that it can be very help helpful is that you mentioned automatic heuristic evaluation, where design, design tool actually can give advice on like what can be improved and not just saying, okay, this should be like that, but actually if it could give more like a background, why it's better, you know, like sort of also educating designers, because if um, new designers come and AI tool does half of job for them, they never know why it's better. They don't know like the philosophy, the, the theoretical part behind it. So if, if AI could also take a role of like educating those designers, that would be very helpful because otherwise if people and these designers don't become like a critical think thinkers, then can actually handicap the progress and development as a designers as well. I think that's an excellent point. I, in, in fact, it reminds me of um, this kind of interesting use case that comes from the airline industry, where there was a point when um, automated pilot kind of systems became available and they were being introduced in all these commercial aircraft. Um, and it got to a point after um, there was kind of a, a, a infamous crash. I think it was like one of the Boeing airplanes that um, ended up crashing, killing everyone on board. And and, and there was, of course, a, a big investigation into what happened. Why did, why did the pilot fail to kind of control the plane? And what they found out was that this pilot was actually um, completely um, reliant on this automated kind of piloting system. And when there was a problem with that system, the pilot simply w became overwhelmed, didn't know how to react, had kind of, um, the, his, the, their training had kind of suffered uh, in the process of kind of leaning too much on this automated system and um, failed to kind of gain control of the plane at a time when it was, um, you know, mission critical, you know? So uh, unfortunately that resulted in a, in a loss of life and, and they realized that um, completely automating the pilot's task isn't really the best solution, but finding a happy medium is is really kind of what needs to happen because when things do go wrong and they occasionally will um you need to have your practitioner your craftsman be able to step in and and um and do do their job uh without the need of the automated system now that in my mind applies to aerospace but it also applies to the design and kind of like what we're talking about with ai well you know i don't think that um i would i would I would um, argue that you can't really call yourself a designer if you're entirely relying on AI to do your work. You know, it's really kind of I think best to think of AI as a tool that kind of augments your abilities, but it doesn't really replace them. Can we say that um, if 
people want to prepare themselves for the future in the design industry, they have to become a critical thinkers rather than just mastering a tool. And what are the ways to get ready for the future with the AI in place? Yeah, I mean, I actually, I think that's a, that's a pretty profound statement. I mean, I really do believe that um, critical thinking is the kind of the, the core of, of what we do as designers. It's not really mastering the tool, right? Because tools change. Um, they're, they're constantly shifting, especially in the, in the design industry, right? So um, over-reliance on any individual tool is only going to kind of handicap our problem-solving abilities. I, you know, in terms of how we prepare for the future, I think that, um, you know, the, the first kind of I, step in my mind is to really kind of understand where AI is already being used and how it's being used and kind of just really understand what it is, what it's, what it's best suited to kind of solve, right? Because um, a lot of times uh, people just kind of, uh, in my experience, they have this kind of very nebulous kind of uh, concept of what AI is and what it can do. Uh, and from a, a practitioner standpoint, from a design standpoint, I think it's important for us to, to kind of, uh, you know, hone in on that and really understand, well, what is it actually? Uh, and what is it good at achieving? And how does it do that? And what are the implications and, and constraints um, that, that, uh, that it needs? So that's kind of a, a very important first step. And then I think as a design industry, I think we should consider how we build, um, how we leverage AI to kind of uh, build our own tools or augment the tools we're already using. Um, you know, I think that, that as craftsmen, our tools are, we use, even though they're always changing, they're quite, they're quite, um, they're quite uh, you know, they're quite necessary in order for us to still do our job. So how can we introduce AI into the tools that we're using uh, to make us, to augment our abilities? I, the, the example you gave, I thought was excellent, the automatic heuristic evaluation. Uh, and because this is a place that AI could potentially excel at, right? It can identify patterns, uh, maybe visual patterns within an interface and say, hey, did you consider this? And this is why um, this might be kind of an area that you need to kind of look at or or maybe it's just like pointing out areas where certain psychology concepts or heuristics are, are very kind of evident and kind of knowing that, being aware of that, just really kind of helps, um, you know, augment our um, knowledge around um, the, the, the problem space and what we're trying to solve. I think uh, another good example of that is like something I mentioned earlier with like automated heuristic I'm sorry, uh, automated design system generation. I think that, um, you know, this is something that we have to do quite often, you know, for every project. And, and, and it's one of those things where documentation, whether that's development kind of, uh, you know, documentation or, um, you know, design systems documentation, that's a place where I think AI can really kind of step in and really help automate a lot of that work too. And, and it's also a place where if we had that kind of being done effectively, we'd be the documentation would be probably much better because sometimes you know we're 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 busy or we're distracted and we're not kind of giving our documentation the due diligence that it really deserves. Um, so this is a place where AI could potentially excel. Um, and I, I think one of the more, most exciting areas that AI would really kind of uh, be amazing is. Uh, and, and, you know, 
especially when it comes to our design tooling is being able to, to do kind of iterative dis, um, kind of generation, right? So quite often, you know, um, I'm designing something and I'm happy with it, but I know that, you know, you never want to go with your first kind of solution. So you want to iterate more um, and being able to automatically generate variations of a thing based on kind of like a prototype, I think would be a, a really great use of AI as well. And it's that kind of it, the ability for the designer to kind of step back, you know, frame up the problem and then step back and watch AI kind of iterate and you become more of a curator. Um, and, and, you, uh, and it's more of a selection process. The designer's hand is still at work, but you're kind of leveraging this tool to do what it does best and it speeds up the design process and, and augments the designer's ability. So um, I think the end result of that can also be like landing on a solution that might have taken much, much more time to land on or maybe uh, would have been a, um, something that would have been quite hard to come to otherwise. The example of that, there is a design studio in Russia, a quite prominent design studio. And a couple of years ago, they launched AI project where this designer whom he gave a name and surname and they gave a picture and everything like created the whole story that's like a real person was generating designs and uh, it was um, branding, you know, branding tasks. And every, every, everyone around, including the people in the studio, like, who is this guy? Like, he's working like a thunderbolt, like super quick. And they kept it secret. Later on, they revealed that this is AI and they launched it as a service in the studio where you can order your branding for 100 bucks and you have to select from whatever AI gives you, like the options. Maybe they like kind of manually select, okay, this is like 10 best things to present to the customer and then customer has to choose. No, no alterations, no tweaks, nothing. Just fixed <laughs> price, you have to choose. <laughs> and people actually uh, buying this, you know, and they also have uh, like, my branding was designed by such and such studio, uh, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think that's really, it's, it's really kind of interesting case and I, or case study. And I remember reading about this because at one point they were even selling merch and stuff because they were creating they were using this thing to create um, just like shirts and all kinds of random stuff that was actually making quite a bit of money. Uh, I, but, you know, I think that's, that this is kind of, um, you know, a lot, a lot of times when people will hear a case study like that, they are like, oh, this, is, this spells disaster for the design industry. We're all going to be automated in, in, in the future. And I think the missing kind of piece of this story is that these, these branding um, you know, one-offs or, you know, these branding kind of things that this uh, AI was doing, they, you know, branding, I think effective branding depends on context and storytelling, right? And it's impossible to understand all of that in, in a, when an AI is just ripping out, you know, work. Um, it's missing all the context and it's missing all the story. And that's what actually makes a brand like, and, you know, that's what makes it effective. So th these are the kind of things that I don't think, um, at least in the in, in the near future, we need to worry about AI replacing us as, as designers or technologists in general. I mean, I don't really think that uh, that that's going to happen for quite a while if, if 
if and if it ever does really so um now there's also things that i think are quite alarming like gbt3 where it's like um generating code on the other hand very very much something that could be automated um now i if if my developer side of me says well is it going to be good code it will it be code that plugs into a broader system and works and 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 uh there's also something um that's kind of beautiful about like really really kind of terse code that's creatively solves a problem as well um which in ai is going to really probably uh you know, maybe it's possible that it gets there, but it's going to, you know, my guess is that any code generated from an AI, it's, it's going to be kind of, it's going to have, not have that context to the broader system um, the way that, just like a, the way a human being uh, designer would uh, when they're pro trying to solve a problem, they have that context and they're able to kind of, you know, more effectively problem solve. A hundred dollars question for you. When do you think people who love to design buttons will lose their jobs? Um, when, when do I think that designers are gonna? When when could they be audit, like replaced? Yeah, like there is no vacancy to design buttons anymore. It's done, <laughs> finished, <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, I think what's interesting about um, I, I think that industries or professions or crafts that fail to kind of adapt, those are the ones that are typically kind of based out, right? Or they're replaced. I think what's interesting about the design industry is it has a, a this amazing ability to be very, very adaptable. I mean, even myself coming out of art school and, and having kind of started as a focused in print and graphic design and branding um, and having shifted over, even in the short span of my career, shifted into the digital space and, and kind of um, that kind of adaptability um, I think is it that's that's kind of like um, the what's really important in design, and I think designers now they really get that because you know the the there's always trends, but then there's underlying kind of um, technology and shifts in the industry that happen that I think we're very very attuned to. It's kind of part of our job to be attuned to that. So um, we're we're really adept at listening and understanding where things might go and being able to adapt for that. And I think um, in a lot of ways that kind of say, that gives us some resilient resiliency in terms of, um, you know, overall career, uh, you know. But I think when it comes to like, okay, even graphic designers that had, I never made the shift from graphic design into to digital design, I probably still could have uh, been a practicing graphic designer. Um, but I have, a, I have, and I don't think that's ever going to be a need that's going to completely be eliminated. Um, there's always going to be a good uh, a need for really, really good designers. Um, uh, it's really, in, and that's true for graphic design as well. So, um, but if you find yourself like cranking out like website templates, you know, like they're very cookie cutter. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that I think it's going to really quickly get phased out. Um, because yes, you can absolutely train a machine to do this and probably, you know, do it quicker and more efficiently, you know, than a human being. So, 
Um, you know, but it just turns out that's typically the kind of stuff that desi designers don't really like to do for a long time anyways, right? We like to challenge ourselves and, and kind of uh, adapt our skills and, and evolve. So um, I think we're in a good spot. <laughs> I think there is a difference between uh, a designer and like an artisan or a craftsman. So the craftsman is just repeats the technique he learned. And I see this, I'm currently here in Bali and there is a districts of like craftsmen. People call them artists. But I see that what they do is just like repeating the same designs, same kind of templates all over and over again. I, and I'm thinking, well, they are good at this, their craft, but they're not thinking like creatively. They just learned the tools and just repeating it because you don't see any like, like new ideas. And mostly the new ideas, they come in like here, like I'm speaking in the context of the Bali, uh, they're coming from expats. They take the uh, like a traditional ideas and then they iterate. They bring some innovation and create something new from it, where people from you know like the Western countries they can relate to to this like art and craft. And because otherwise, the ho every home would be filled with the same furniture, same kind of carvings, same candeliers and things like that, looking nice but it's all the same. All the same, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I think human beings are just kind of naturally like uh, allergic to that. Like we, we have a tendency to want to be more individualistic and have things that are maybe unique and different from the next person. So, um, you know, I don't know. I, I think that you still need a little bit of both like innovation and um, a connection to your craft to, to, to do good work, you know? I think that craft is still incredibly important, but um, being able to kind of creatively problem solve, I think that, that that's something that's not only necessary long-term, but um, you know, is, is like a fundamental kind of skill that we have as designers inherently. And when I gave this example, it wasn't necessarily, a, I said it's a bad thing because I think what is good in Asia here that people can keep the traditions like, because they're doing it generation from generation, and you can see that there are still traditional hand, um, hand loomers, there are still traditional production, production of the silver ornaments and everything. So this is uh, something that I also appreciate about the local approach or like more like uh, Eastern approach. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Where Westerners, they're more like into uh, looking into the future and trying to, I say, uh, create and innovate Things, which is also good. So when you merge two, this is maybe the, like the golden spot you're yeah. talking about. And this is design is all about. My last question to you, John, is uh, where can people find you online? I'm not as on Twitter as much these days, but um, I visit there occasionally. You can find me there at John Yablonski. Um, I hang out on LinkedIn too, and uh, in, in my website, uh, johnyablonski.com. I try to post thoughts and writing and, and kind of projects that I'm up to uh, there quite frequently. So yeah, uh, those three places. Thank you so much for this conversation. And I learned a lot and uh, I think we've been able to uncover this question very nicely together. Yeah, absolutely. I enjoyed it.